Welcome to this session. I uh, apologize for my voice. My, hopefully my voice will hold out. Uh, my voice has been a little raspy, a little laryngitis or something. Maybe a little uh, Vegas voice is starting to, to hit me at this point. Um, but in this session, uh, I'm Darren Thane. I'm the Chief Technology Officer of Domo. In this session, I'm certainly going to talk about Domo. But more generally, I'm going to talk about technology leadership. And some of the trends that are going on that are driving different styles of, of technology leadership and some of the attributes of innovative technology leaders versus the not so innovative technology leaders. First of all, I want to start out and I want to ask a couple of introspective questions. So particularly, so if you're, if you're in an IT related field, um, or also if you're not, uh, ask, answer this question yourself about your, your associated IT organization. But how, do, how many of you think you have an accurate sense of how you are portrayed by the people that you support? The individuals, the groups, the departments, and your organizations that you support. Would they say you're killing it? Or would they say, eh, I mostly try to avoid my IT department? Or if you're, you know, if you're uh, not in IT, how would you answer that about the people in your IT departments? Do they see you, or is the IT department in your organization seen as an innovative partner who helps the organization achieve their goals? Or are they, are they, are they often seen as someone who presents roadblocks? Now, technology leadership is tough. And I have been in technology leadership roles for over 20 years. Uh, and for the last 10 of those 20 years, I've been, in, I've been able to be in roles where I get to meet with hundreds of different technology leaders from virtually every industry. And that's enabled me to get to see a wide spectrum of leadership styles. And, um, and I'm going to talk about, there's a lot of trends that are going on that are making technology jobs difficult. But I'm going to focus on just a couple that are, that are relevant to the, to the discussion. The first one, the number of apps in the enterprise is exploding. Now, um, and many of these are shadow IT. We'll talk, we'll talk a number of times about shadow IT. But um, three years ago, I, I did a presentation, and I had referenced a study that the number I had on my slide was 508. And, and that was the number of applications used by the average enterprise is, is, is what that study was purporting. Well, there's a lot of studies about this. Um, just most recently, I, I, I uh, found a study that Cisco had commissioned. And in this study, Cisco uh, looked at large corporations and in, in globally, not just the US. And uh, they did this study and they, they asked the IT organizations, how many applications do you think you have in use in your organization? And the average answer was 91. Uh, and then they did this, you know, uh, they watched all the network traffic in these organizations, gathered data. I don't know how long the period they did this for. Uh, but at the end, they averaged it up and they found the number was actually 1,220. So uh, it's interesting. So obviously, a large number of those 1,220 would be classified as shadow IT. And I'll, and I'll define shadow IT as a product or service that's used within the enterprise, but it's not supported by the centralized IT organization. That, that's how I'll define shadow IT. <clears throat> 
So whether it's 508, an average of like what I, what I uh, had three years ago, or it's 1,220, if it's, even if it's in the ballpark of either of those numbers, right, it's, it's a complicated thing. And then the fact that so many of them are shadow IT, and, and there's, there's a lot of great reasons why it's shadow IT, there's a lot of great applications out there that individuals and companies are finding provide value, and, and they provide a great level of value. But if you think about it, most of those shadow IT applications end up having data that's important to your organization, important to the enterprise, but in largely kind of in, in uh, islands, data islands they're becoming. So that's one trend. Number two, associated with all these additional apps, more data, more formats, higher frequencies, users are not, they're, they're, they don't tolerate getting a quarterly report or even a monthly report. They want higher frequency updates. And this is a point, all with an increased expectation of self-service. And that's an important point that also, also back up with a little more later about this idea of users are expecting more and more self-service. And then three, yeah, of course, uh, you gotta figure out how to do it. All this additional data, additional app support, you gotta figure out how to do it and control cost. And legacy architectures are just not gonna let you scale to meet the needs of the organization. And of course, all of you here at an AWS concert, you, you get that. You get the, the advantages of, of, uh, of the, the efficiencies of moving to the cloud. But certainly, I've seen many, many customers with their legacy in, 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 uh, architectures um, like spending enormous amounts of money to try to meet the needs of the business. That's just not gonna be acceptable. So, it's little wonder that a majority of IT leaders report that their jobs are getting increasingly more difficult. And this stat that I have here, 88%, this is from uh, CIO.com's State of the CIO survey they recently did. And in there they reported 88% of CIOs say their role is increasingly becoming increasingly more difficult. And there's a lot of other factors that, that are driving that. But yeah, it's a tough job. So you could either stay on that treadmill, just learn how to run faster and faster and faster, but of course you're gonna eventually hit into the wall and you're probably not gonna fare quite as well as the little stick figure guy here uh, when you hit into that wall. Um, or you can get off the treadmill and innovate. And I am seeing increasingly innovative technology leaders are taking a strategic role, a more strategic role in the enterprise. And in the opposite, I'm also seeing less innovative technology leaders more and more get relegated to the sidelines. More and more, they're not having a seat at the table. So uh, I, recently, I recently met with Jim Fowler. He's the CIO of GE. And, and my take is he is one of these innovative technology leaders who gets it. And he was recently interviewed by CIO Magazine. And in that interview, he talked about the emergence of what he, he termed self-helpers. And, and he described these self-helpers as, you know, college graduates are coming now, entering the workforce, entering our companies, and they expect they can go build their own models, do their own analysis. And he, he used the phrase, they don't even think they need IT. And so let me, let me read just a, a quote exactly from this article. 
from Jim. He said, how do CIOs stay relevant in this world of self-helpers? They need to figure out how to architect data so that it's readily available for these workers. Providing the right platforms and guardrails needs to be seen as a catalyst and not a speed bump. Now, when I, when I read this article and then I later was able to meet with Jim, I, I, my take was, yeah, he's describing the trends I've been seeing. He, he gets it. And, and, you know, really this paragraph, you know, it could be a domo billboard in my mind. You know, architect data so it's readily available for these self-help workers and, and make sure you've got the guardrails, but the, the guardrails are seen as catalysts, not speed bumps. So, uh, let me give a little intro for those of you who don't know, what's Domo? So Domo was started with the mission of empowering all people in an organization with the real-time data and analysis and to, to derive the insights that they need to optimize their business. And it was, and that, that's the key thing is all people. It, was designed, it wasn't just designed for analysts, it's designed for all people, it's designed for the self-helpers. Oh, it didn't click, wrong button. So, and as Domo, as Domo began with the decision, business decision maker in mind, the Domo experience is one that's highly intuitive and it's, it's designed so that it's a very approachable by all end users. But there's also a lot of power under the hood. Domo was born in the cloud over seven years ago. Domo was, was, was we started Domo, it was, it was begun in AWS. It's, it's designed from the ground up to be a cloud product. And it's, it's got unmatched ability to scale. Domo and Jess, on behalf of our combined customers, over 500 billion rows of data each and every day. And Domo has individual customers that manage over 150 terabytes of data in the platform. And we have many customers that have over 5,000 users, all using the same multi-tenant platform. So it's a platform that's been architected and designed to scale efficiently and effectively. So Domo starts with the people in your organization. The, the individual is a very, very important part of the Domo platform. And Domo provides a very personalized experience. Each individual identifies the data, and the data sets that are important to them, and the underlying KPIs that, that speak to them specifically in the role that they are in. And then, as the individuals use the Domo platform, their interactions, the data they connect to, the analysis they do, the KPIs they build, the alerts they create, the alerts that they follow, they choose to follow, that others have created, the, um, the collaboration, the conversations that they have, the conclusions that are reached, all of that activity becomes a very important part of the platform. So people, people, people is a very important part of the Domo platform. And then of course, not only is it for all your people, but it's for all of your data. And I'll talk about how it's, how it's important for IT-related data also. I'll, I'll get to that. But Domo is, a, is an open data platform. And we've made a huge investment in data connectivity so that no matter where your data is, you can, get, you can connect it to the Domo platform. Of course, we have robust data APIs that allow you to programmatically connect your data to Domo. But we've also built a library of over 500 API-based connectors that allow you to connect to the most popular business applications that the businesses rely on today. And remember we talked about shadow IT. So many of those applications in use in your organizations as shadow IT represent these isolated islands of data. But with Domo, business users, in most cases, can self-service 
establish a connection, walk through a wizard, establish a connection to those applications, thereby bringing that data into a centralized, modern data platform like Domo. Of course, in order to connect all of your people and all of your data, and we, we never ask you to pre-summarize your data, all of your data. In order to connect all of your people and all of your data, you're gonna need a modern data platform. And Domo as a cloud-based platform is able to scale and meet your needs. Traditional platforms with their legacy architectures, absolutely, you know, they're not gonna be able to scale effectively and cost-efficiently to, to do this. A modern data platform, there's some data points I have of what a modern data platform should be. One, for sure, it should be able to economically scale. Two, it should be able to have a fantastic data connectivity, so that, so that wherever your data is. And three, it should have a very intuitive interface that allows self-helpers, not just analysts, business decision makers, should be able to create their own analysis, derive their own insights. Also, it should have a great collaboration engine. Domo's social collaboration engine is built into the DNA of the product from, from day one. It's a core part of the experience. And this other point, the platform should enable you to provide data access and not have to pit governance against data access. And I'll drill more into that one also. And then the last point, I've seen this over and over and over again, a platform, a modern data platform like Domo really facilitates a cultural change in, in an organization. So at times, Domo has been introduced into a company as Shadow IT. And I've talked a couple times about Shadow IT. Well, Domo has, has gone that same route. And recently, I was meeting with a group of IT professionals, technology leaders from the financial services industry. And in that meeting, I asked, I said, why do you think a chief marketing officer would completely bypass IT and go and purchase Domo. Everybody in the audience nodded their heads as a few people shouted out the answer. Right? They all knew the answer, and I think you all know the answer also. Right? That happens because the organization is not happy with the level of service they're getting from their centralized IT or, or BI department. And so when, and when, when, when you find out, and also, let's say they... So not only do they bypass IT, they don't even involve them, they don't even consult with them when they make this decision to go purchase Domo. And the reason they don't consult with them is they, they're sure they're gonna just present roadblocks. So when you find out late in the game that another executive in the company has authorized a purchase you didn't even know about, that should cause you to do some introspection. You should think, what, it, what is it about what I'm not providing that the business needs? Innovative techni technology leaders will ask that question often, and they will figure out how they can become the catalyst to provide, to lead the organization and provide this, the organization with solutions that meet their needs, rather than sitting on the sidelines as the business navigates around them. And I've, I've seen it happen so many times, so many times. So, um, I asked you at the beginning some kind of introspective questions. How do you think the, your, the business perceives the IT organization? So many I've found, many IT leaders that I've met in the last 10 years, I've found they're not very introspective. They're not very self-aware. They'll say things like, I've heard, I've heard this description before, we have this wonderful centralized reporting function and it provides all of the data analytics needs for the entire organization. 
And, um, and if anybody needs a new report or they need to modify an existing report, we've got this wonderful ticketing system too. Right? And, and look, it's even got our logo on this ticketing system. Look at this great ticketing system we have. And, uh, and all they gotta do is put a ticket in and that ticket will then get prioritized and, and, and we, will, we will make that change someday, someday. Um, and, and of course, ticketing systems, I'm not, I'm not here to make fun of ticketing systems. They are essential and for sure they help to reign in chaos. Um, for sure, ticketing systems are fantastic. But uh, I was actually at, I was meeting with a, I'll just say a Fortune 100 company. I'm not gonna identify who they were. Let's see, on the eastern half of the United States, I was in a meeting and there were about 10 people present in this meeting. There were business leaders from this Fortune 500 company and there were three technology leaders. And as I was describing this spectrum of styles from a very centralized, highly centralized model to a decentralized model, I described that exact scenario I described to you of the centralized system, the ticketing system, et cetera. As I did that, the business leader who was sitting right to my right, he just stopped me and he slammed his hand on the table and he said, yes, that's exactly what we have at our company. And I've all but given up getting the, the answers that I need. And it was interesting because when he did that, everybody in the room, there was like 10 of us in the room, we could all see the body language change of the three technology leaders that were in that room. And they, immediately there was a change. And it was clear to everybody, this is the first time they had received that kind of feedback. They thought that people were fine with their system of put a ticket in and we'll get to your report and we'll make that change. So, you know, it was, it was clear that they had not been instructed. They had not really sought to find out how well is this meeting the needs of the business. Innovative technology leaders, they understand that a key component of their job is to empower the employees of their organization. They seek to understand the key goals of the business. They align themselves with the, with the business winning. And they, they figure out how to help their peers get the job done. And they understand the significant leverage that they as a technology leader can provide the business in winning. And they love to spike the football. They love to spike the football. They love to win. So now the dreaded G word. So um, last year I was meeting with, I think it was 60 or 70 chief data officers from lots of a variety of different industries were in this gathering. And um, you know, as data and analytics becoming more and more important, critical, critical factor to drive the success of every industry, right? Data analytics are becoming more and more important. As that trend is pushing, these chief data officers sit at a key point in, in enabling their business to have that key advantage. And as I was meeting with these chief data officers, one of them stood up and he addressed the entire audience. And he said, we are the only ones in our companies who care about the G word. No one else even wants to hear that word. That's what he said. <laughs> and um, I was able to spend some time with that particular chief data officer. And, uh, and, and I do, I saw him clearly as one of these innovative leaders. He wasn't saying that governance is not important. Clearly, 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 governance remains very, very important. But what he recognized, accurately I would say, is that he was not going to succeed if he was constantly you know, wearing the governance hat and waving the governance flag, and that if he were to thwart the ability 
of the business to get their job done by using the G word all the time, he was going to find himself sitting on the sidelines. And, and he, he got that point. I think there's still many, many, many that don't get that point. Innovative technology leaders, they recognize that, that positioning governance in opposition to data access is building on a false premise. So there's an analogy I like to use, and I've used it often, to, to help illustrate the difference between a highly centralized model and a decentralized model. And the analogy is not perfect, um, but it, it's, it, I think it is illustrative of the point. So imagine this boxing match. And in one corner of the boxing match, this is a boxing match of encyclopedias. We have the reigning champion, Encyclopedia Britannica, first published in 1771. And for decades, the leading encyclopedia source. Armed with an unsurpassed panel of the world's experts, including 110 Nobel Prize winners. A highly centralized approach to providing the world with carefully curated data. Very, very centralized approach. So as you, I'm sure you all know who's in the opposite corner. Right? The opposite corner is a scrawny, very little funding upstart. Doesn't have a panel of experts. Not a single Nobel Prize winner on its panel. There is no panel, really. And it seems like these, should be, these, guys, these boxers shouldn't even be in the same ring together, right? Well, but the scrawny upstart, Wikipedia, has got a secret weapon. It's figured out how to tap into the wisdom of the crowd of the tens of thousands of contributors who have this knowledge all across the globe. And it turns out the match isn't even close. It's, it's over fairly quickly. Today, the English, English Wikipedia alone has 3.4 billion words. That's 60 times as many as the next largest English dictionary, English encyclopedia, which is Britannica. And if you look at the traffic, depending on the source that you look at, you know, if you look at US versus global, uh, Wikipedia either comes in top five unique visitors per month or, or maybe as low as top 15. But, but by all accounts, very, very popular service. When was the last time, did any of you reference Encyclopedia Britannica in the last month? Yeah, me neither, me neither. So, does your approach to data and analytics in your company most closely follow the Encyclopedia Britannica model or the Wikipedia model? Do you maintain tight control over who's allowed to perform data analysis? Or do you harness the creativity and the wisdom that's in the, the minds of hundreds or thousands of individual business makers, business decision makers that are in your organization? Do you seek to, to enforce that only carefully trained professionals should be allowed to perform data analysis? Are you so worried that an analysis mistake will be made and it won't be identified? One approach will win. The other will result in more and more shadow IT as, IT, as decision makers become increasingly dissatisfied with waiting for the central authority to distribute officially sanctioned data analysis. And this is the best image I could come up with for the central authority. There he is. He's, he's going to impart officially sanctioned data and analysis. So the solution 
to the governance and data access problem is not to place governance and data access in opposition to one another. If you provide access to data and analytics and you allow it to be freely done, you can also maintain oversight and governance if the data access, the analysis, the collaboration is all done in a modern data platform like Domo. Will mistakes be made? Occasionally, people will make mistakes in their analysis. But if it's in a modern data platform, those mistakes, the crowd can identify and rectify the mistake. The power of unleashing data analytics to the crowd will far outweigh the occasional mistakes that are made. It's no contest. If you're going to stick to the old centralized model for data analysis and data access, and your competitor chooses decentralized, who's going to win that battle? So now let me, let me talk about Domo as it applies to an IT use case. So I talked about how Domo's a modern data platform applies to everyone, and that, of course, includes IT users. One of the data points that I gather when I meet with IT departments is I often find out what's the BI stack that you officially support, and they always have one, right? Pick, pick one of the legacy data warehouses, pick one of the legacy dashboarding or visualization or analysis tools, and maybe you know, ETL tools, et cetera. Like they've got some stack that they officially support. As soon as I find out what that is, I say, all right, tell me how do you use that stack to run your departments? And they always, they always like, are you kidding me? We don't use it for our data. And they, they, they actually are puzzled why I even ask the question. That's what I always get from them, I always get from them. And the answer is, the answer is telling for a couple of reasons. One, it helps me understand kind of how they view the value of data analytics. But more importantly, it illustrates the difference, and I'm, I'm, I help them see this difference, the difference between what I'll call your father's BI stack and a modern data platform like Domo. With Domo, if you're a technology leader, of course, the answer is, of course your data should be in Domo. Of course it should. I then, I then after I have this conversation, I start to show them. Let me show you how I run my department in Domo. And, and I start out and I show them, often I show them my AWS page. And, and Domo started out early with AWS. And there's an interesting story about this one. Um, early on, one day, I get my, my CEO, he doesn't just saunter into my office, he blasts through the door, comes blasting through the office. And he says, what the blankety blank happened to our AWS bill this last month? And um, that was a very uncomfortable scenario for him because not only did I not know why it had jumped, I didn't even know it had jumped. I didn't know. Um, so as soon as he left, and, and I was, you know, I was embarrassed, uh, I talked to my cloud apps guy and I said, hey, I've got to have all the data from my AWS, the billing and use data, I've got to have that flowing into Domo, it's got to be connected ASAP. And ever since then, I have all the answers I need in Domo. So I'll show, I'll show these technology leaders, look, I've got, I've got all my AWS data flowing into Domo. Um, I explain how I've got performance and availability data for all of our key systems, always at my fingertips. I show them how, here, here's, some, here's a bunch of cards some of, our, some of our developers have on showing our Kubernetes usage. And the one on the right is our you know, EC2 instances by environment. Um, then I explain how I've got data from Jira flowing into Domo. And I've never seen anybody who agrees to take their JIRA defect tracking, bug tracking data, 
and put it into their legacy enterprise data warehouse. I've never seen that happen. But with Domo, it's a natural thing to do. And yeah, I could probably, I'm sure I could go figure out how to log into Jira, create my, go, go find the report I need. I could go figure that out, right? But I don't have time to do that, especially when I multiply it over the dozens of other systems that have data to them that's important to me. And, and it, once, once, you, once you get that pattern where if data is important to you, you connect it, you get it flowing into Domo, you then, not only do you have it available real time in a single interface where you can create alerts all the same way, but I've got it on my phone wherever I want, right? It's really empowering, really is empowering. So after I show these examples, I often see the, the IT leaders start nodding their head and they get it. They get how different Domo is from their legacy data platform. And one time I was meeting with, uh, this is a $20 billion company, I was meeting with a couple of the IT leaders and I went through this whole conversation with them. And after I finished showing them my Domo usage, the, the VP of IT, he turned and he said, yeah, I guess we've been kind of like the cobbler's children. And, and he's right, that's a good way to put it, right? We've been supporting this whole data platform for everybody else, not having a platform for us. You don't have to be the cobbler's children. Domo is for your data also. So now, uh, I'd like to introduce you to Jason Roberts. He's the global head of technology and analytics at Randstad SourceRight. And he's going to talk about how he's leveraged Domo to change the culture at his company. Thank you. Well, thanks. Um, I guess the first thing to know is uh, you should probably know a little bit about who Ronstadt is. So um, Ronstadt is a staffing company. We have been, uh, we've been in the staffing business for a really long time. We just celebrated a 55-year anniversary. I promise what I have to say is really interesting. If you need to leave, you can. But I, I promise it's good. I swear. <laughs> it's even better than the sandwiches they have in the boxes outside. Even better than that. So uh, stick around. It's good stuff. Um, we're a big company, uh, and we have lots of data that, that flows through the organization. But we're also a pretty uh, old legacy company. And uh, my particular part of Ronstad is, is unique in that we're the, I'm part of the outsourcing, the enterprise solutions piece of the business. Um, so if a, a large enterprise needs someone to take over their full uh, recruiting department, that's what we do. We, we come in and, and do that. And uh, whenever you call one of those companies and you talk to them about a job, you're actually talking to someone who works for us and we're doing what we do to help them screen those candidates and find the best possible match. So that's, that's what I do. The challenge with that is, along with the services that I provide, I also provide a technology stack. And uh, when I bring that stack, um, it has to connect in with the, uh, the client's data that they want to have and the stack that they bring as well in order to tell a, co a cohesive story. Now, in my world, that means there are 300 and some odd client uh, groups of systems that I need to combine with my own systems in order to know what's happening at any given time in my business. And that's really hard. Uh, it, takes a, it takes a little bit of time to do. And uh, the big deal is I don't have a lot of control over my client systems, right? Uh, I, I just need to find a way to connect into those in a good way. So um, before Domo, I had, uh, I had a couple of folks in, on my team whose full-time job was uh, 
was sitting in Informatica, bringing that data together, making it make sense, dropping that into like this uh, DB2 database and doing some Cognosy work. And the result of all of these efforts, like this is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, of work, was this beautiful specimen that you see right here. It was awesome. Uh, we were able to see in a very strangely color-coded group that I really don't fully understand, stuff. Uh, now, exactly what stuff we saw, you had to know what you were doing, you had to have, an, have some analysis. In fact, the reason I have a job, the reason I even was hired, was because we had been losing some customers, and my CEO uh, came to me and said, all right, we need you to come in, and I want you to look at all the data for all the clients, and you be the guy that tells me when something's going sideways. And I said, yeah, I can't do that. Way too much data to analyze as a human being. I said, but I can build you something that can. And uh, we started out with this, this uh, monstrosity that, that is before you, and we ended up with something that, that was a little more usable, a little more friendly. You know, the thing about data, and uh, I'll go back to the monstrosity for a minute. It's, it's kind of funny. Data is, this is my core philosophy, it's about windshield wipers. I think data is like a windshield wiper. And imagine, imagine your business like this. Have you heard this one before? I've told it a couple of times. So if you haven't heard me, you may not have heard it. So here's how this works. You're driving a car down the road. You're trying to run your business. And you're, the car is your business. You're driving down the road. You're driving a Ferrari. It's a very good business. You do a good job. And uh, say you're driving down Pacific Coast Highway. You've got some curves. You, you've got some treacherous cliffs on one side you don't want to go over. It starts to rain. The problem with that is your vision is obscured. You don't have windshield wipers. So what you do is, have you ever had a windshield wiper break? Anybody ever have that happen? Yeah. So you know it's what happens in that case. In that case, what you do is you either pull over and wait, which none of us ever do, or you kind of slow down every once in a while and get like the, the uh, shirt out of your gym bag and you wipe off real quick. So you get a quick glimpse and you drive a little more and you clear it off. That's how most of us run our business. We're, we're driving this car down the road. We kind of, uh, the rain comes. We reach our arm around the window and wipe it off, get a quick glimpse, and then it's immediately obscured again. That's how we run our businesses. And that's what this thing was. That's what this mess was. What you have to do is you have to build windshield wipers. You need something that will consistently and frequently be clearing the, the view for you so that you can see what's happening and not only see what's directly in front of you, but if you do it right, you can see really far in front of you. And that's what we had to build. That's what had to happen in order for, for us to be successful. And we did. You know, the, we have, there, are some good thing, there are some things that are important, like um, the, the monstrosity has things like, uh, I can tell you what happened. Can't necessarily tell you if that's good or bad. The baseline, is that good or bad? Is, is this information, is what happened to my business good or bad. So um, we were able to bring all the data together to tell a far more cohesive story and to provide an analytical perspective that we've never seen. You'd be amazed at what happened, though. I brought this beautiful picture to people. And let me show you this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you mind if I show you a, an actual view of our, would you like to see an actual view of our of real world? OK, here we go. Oh, it's, it's doing some good stuff now, too. So. We switching over? 
There we go. All right, this is, actually, this is my, tr my data center. Uh, right now, um, what's happening in, in my data warehouse is a lot of stuff. <laughs> we have, sometimes I demo this and there's nothing moving in and out of the system, and sometimes it's going nuts, and right now it is going crazy. There's a lot of activity. These are real-time data feeds inside of my data warehouse right now, um, data coming into various places and combining uh, the circles on the outside Though that outside circle is all uh, unique data sources, you can see kind of my R connector. Uh, you can see <laughs> like Twitter and, <laughs> and the Associated Press and all sorts of other things that, that we're pulling information in from. Um, but, uh, but it all gets combined in the middle in the magic zone. Literally, it's called magic when, they, when you do your ETL work in the tool, which I love. I think that's hilarious. Um, but you, you do the magic stuff. So what, what ended up happening is the people who had the monstrosity before, I brought them this beautiful new view, and they were like, yeah, uh, can I have my spreadsheet back? And I looked at them like they were crazy people because they were. And I said, uh, why do you want this spreadsheet? And they were like, because we're used to it. So we had to do this change management process. And what happened is we did that with our leadership, our executives. I, was, I would get on this call um, because that spreadsheet was hard to read. I, we had a Friday call, and every single Friday I would get on this call, and we would look at this thing, and I would perform some analysis, and I would say, hey, here's what happened. Here's your customers that did well. Here's your customers that did, didn't do well. Here's what you should change. Um, do you know why this is a problem? Do you know why this, this other thing is a problem? They would leave with homework. I would leave with homework. We'd all be a little bit grumpy, and um, it was, it was all, always a surprise. So what transitioned over a period of time is I began... Uh, taking away the reports. At first I gave them both their spreadsheet and Domo, and we tweaked it. I'd get on the phone with them, and I'd say, what exactly, oh, went blank for me for a minute. I'd say, what exactly do you want to know? What, what do you need to know? And they'd say, well, I like what I'm seeing here. I wish it was a little more like this, or I wish I, it was a little more like that. And they would look for tweaks. They would look for changes that happened over a period of time. So I would just make those changes. I would just do it while they're on the phone. And, uh, you know, I am a technology guy. I am, not a, uh, I am not a super technology guy, and I'm finding the dashboard where I've obscured the truth for you so that I can, uh, I can actually show you what this looks like. So uh, what, what we did is we sat down and looked at it, and they said, well, you know, I don't know if all this information is up to date. Okay. I'll give you a data, a data sanity check. So is this trustworthy data? Have, all, have we pulled in everything? Did something fail along the way? If something failed, you get a frowny face. If everything's good, you get a green smiley face. Things like that that we tweaked over a period of time to get them comfortable with using the data that we have. And over a period of time, we adjusted and got them to a place where they said, all right, I want that thing that, we, uh, that we've been using I want the, the new data set that, that we have. So here's what happened. I'm going to go back to our data warehouse because that that's a way cooler picture than this one. All right. So over a period of time, we got them comfortable, and they started using the data. And on my Friday calls, something strange happened where they started to say, they started coming, and they had answers to all of my questions before I asked the questions. Um, and uh, I said, okay, well, you already know this. And at some point, um, I stopped having that meeting. 
they don't need that meeting anymore. They've got the data and they've got it in near real time. So why in the world would I have, have this meeting anymore? They don't need me any, at, at this point. So then a funny thing happened. The people that worked for them came to me and said, hey, you got to help me. I need to know uh, X, Y, and Z because I need a heads up before this thing happens that my boss keeps asking me about inside this system. So the people that work for them, they're adopted. They're in. They're part of the family. All right. So I've got my managers, my directors, my VPs, my C-level people. They are all on. What comes next? Individual contributors, right? Now, we have recruiters in the field, and, and our recruiters are very, very good. Um, and uh, what I need my recruiters to do is, uh, how many of you have worked with a recruiter uh, where you had a really good experience? How many of you worked, have worked with a recruiter with a terrible experience? Okay, all right, so a mix. Oftentimes recruiters behave like short order cooks, where you say, I need a guy with experience X, Y, and Z. They show up with the guy who has experience X, Y, and Z, but they didn't really understand what they were looking at. They also didn't provide you feedback on, all right, I can give you a guy with X, Y, and Z, but um, let me tell you, that combination doesn't exist in the real world. What really happens is I can get you X and Y or Y and Z, but I can't get you all three. And that, that's, a, that's a real world conversation that should happen for you. That's what recruiters should do. They should be talent advisors. Well, we're, we built a toolkit that allows our recruiters to be talent advisors because we've got all the data. I know everything about every hire that these several hundred companies have made. I know lots of stuff. By the way, part of a 22 billion dollar euro, or 22 billion euro, so what, 25? billion US? I don't know. Um, big company. I have all their data too. I know a lot about the market. Um, we also bought monster.com. I know all that stuff too. So I can probably provide you some insights that you as a hiring manager don't know on your own about the market. Why don't I do that? Well, we do now. We do now. So now the individual contributors are users of the data. So you can see how this has been a uh, transformation of our business, right? We went from this thing where our windshield wipers, when, when the rain came, we had to reach our hand out and wipe it off real quick and we would get a quick snapshot and it didn't last. Now we have a regular rhythm. We know what's happening in our business and we know we can see what's, what's going on. Now, here's the other piece. I don't have a ton of IT report builders in my team. I had a bunch of Excel jocks on my team. And I had a couple of, of uh, database resources. I had three database resources at the time. Um, and that's it. That's all, that's all we had in, in this little group. And uh, I couldn't go out and hire a bunch of database guys or, or report builder guys because they're expensive. And uh, honestly, the, the feedback isn't usually very good on what people get from, from them. So um, my Excel jocks built all this stuff. The Excel jocks built everything that's on there. And uh, they, are, they went from being Excel jocks to major domos. That's what, what they're called. If you're really good at domo, you're a major domo. They went from being uh, Excel jocks to major domos. Well, now, guess what happens? These individual contributors that I've given all this data to, they're doing something new. They have access, and they can create their own stuff, too. So it, it depends. I, I won't say that everybody's creating their own things, just like everybody doesn't create their own Excel. Uh, reporting. Um, they'll ask, some people will ask other people to do it. But the ones who would have done their Excel are, doing, are building their demo cards. 
Um, in fact, I, it, was, it was so extreme, I had to do a cleanup recently because there was just, it, it got a little, little hairy for us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's complete democratization of the process that's happened in our, in our world. And I love that. I love that that's a thing, and I love that it, it works that way and that, uh, that these people are able to do what they do. Uh, the other thing that I'll say about this, this process is that uh, it is, it's changed the way that my larger organization looks at data. And uh, we didn't know that we're a data company, right? We've, we've got all these hires we've made over 55 years. Can you imagine the databases we have? So guess who has a team now that's concentrating on bringing all that data from all of these companies, including the bazillion resumes, resumes database that we have from Monster from their decades. We're, I'm working on that now. That's my job at that, at that point, part of my job. So we're, we're finally getting to a place where we're doing some really powerful things with data. Complete transformation of our business. I'm going to power through the rest of these slides because they're not nearly as interesting as this. Okay. Well, thank you, Jason. That's a great... <laughs> Great example of what I've seen over and over and over again of an innovative leader driving this cultural change in an organization. And one of the most satisfying aspects of my job is when I get to see how Domo becomes that fundamental part of that cultural change. And that most effectively happens when the technology leaders in the company fully embrace and support a platform like Domo. When you empower everyone in your company to have access to all the data that's important and relevant to them, and you also arm them with powerful yet easy-to-use analytics, you ignite a data-driven culture. Now, sometimes it's the chief marketing officer or the chief financial officer who picks up the baton and leads the way. I have even seen cases where the CIO and his or her organization gets dragged along, almost kicking and screaming about it. Don't be that technology leader. As a technology leader, you really are in the best position to drive this culture, to pick up the baton, to, to, to establish a platform and a culture that's gonna help your business win, spike the football, be the hero. And that's, that's all I have for you, thank you. Um, and if, there, if you have any questions, you want to come up, um, uh, I, I can certainly talk to you individually. Otherwise, have a great rest of the conference.